All right, stand back, everyone. Welcome to the MSF Farm Talk podcast. I'm Tanya Morgan, and we're just wrapping up, well, a couple of days' worth of Know Your Zones for VRT workshops. We're sitting in the Pinnery Footy Club at the moment, enjoying a, a cold can at the end of a two-day session, and we were at, in the Murray Plains region yesterday. And I'm joined by Sean Mason from Agronomy Solutions and Peter Trelaw, who is a precision ag consultant. How are the beers, fellas? Oh, Very needed. Yeah. Very needed. <laughs> it's been a great couple of days. I thought we'd just go through a bit of a frequently asked questions because we covered so much information about how people would start the journey of um, precision ag or getting into variable rate fertiliser application. How did you guys find the last couple of days? Good. They were, in a sense, two distinct groups. Like, They're pretty different. Yeah, the second one had uh, many people that were already into some form of variable rate. Some guys were really into it. Others were, you know, everybody was doing something. Mm. Yep. Sean? Oh, really good, think? yeah. Obviously, we tried to make it interactive and more hands-on than a standard workshop, even though there's plenty of data, though, that we were getting a lot of questions and feedback, and which is always a positive sign. So, yeah, yeah I, a lot of people are doing VRT or Precision Ag, and they probably don't even know it, but they're, they're doing well, which is a good sign. Yeah, we def- definitely didn't have the moment of silence when you... Uh, you know you've just really haven't got anywhere. <laughs> when you just get that room, you just met with a wall of silence, yeah. you're like, yeah. No, we had some good stories there and um, a few good laughs yesterday in particular. So I thought I'd just run through. I, I did jot down a few notes as we went. So at the end of this workshop series, we're still going to be working with the three groups at Murray Plains, Pinnery, and we've also got the Low Bank Ag Bureau up at Wakery. But we really want to get people either started on their journey of implementing VRT and we're, we're keeping it simple to start with. So it's really just about picking one paddock and looking at how we use NDVI and zoning that paddock and then doing some simple soil tests and then maybe implementing a high or low fertiliser strip just to monitor what's happening with the crop. So Pete, tell us a little bit about that. You were, you were talking about that a fair bit, about how just, you know, the one key take home and a lot of farmers said it was their key take home to have that monitoring strip. Yep. So. We come up with a lot of theories in agriculture and there's always the, either the excuse of, oh, it was a wet season, it was a dry season, it was a frost, it was a drought, all these kind of things. But one of the simplest things you can do, and you do not need variable rate, you really don't even need yield mapping to start, but just being able to put a couple of trial strips out and just put them out in the same spot all the time, because at the end of the day, it's your system, your rotation, your weeds, your cedar, your soil, just see what works for you. and starting with the basics of a below average fertiliser strip and an above average fertiliser strip next door to each other, you can basically answer a lot of your own questions. Yeah, well farmers do work a lot on observation and gut feel as well. So I guess that, that sort of plays into that theory. So some of the other questions we had were, how good was last season in terms of getting data? It was an interesting one. I guess it probably uh, forms a new uh, baseline for a lot of people. So we talk about unproductive flats. They were productive last year. So talking about obviously data lows, but that's where you probably put one in the asterisk box. But this is potential in it and they, they do pay with inputs for, from last year. But then is that one out of five? So you do your gross margins and VRT across 
a couple of years in crop types and we soon work out the profitable areas. So I think it's anything out of the norm and the new baseline's very, very interesting and um, like Pete was going on about new water use potentials and stuff like that and yeah, knowing your zones and how they hold water and a nice easy finish is, is a really decent comparison to possibly something very different this year. Yep. So we're looking at getting people set up with Google Earth, they pick a paddock, you sort of export that paddock and you're putting it into data farming just as an example and then we're putting an NDVI overlay over that. But a lot of the data we were looking at, all the NDVI data, there was too much cloud cover last year so we were having to go back a couple of years. Can you explain that in a bit more detail? I suppose it's a good thing for the growers when we can't get an NDVI map, particularly a bit later on. So we were trying to compare the power of NDVI early. So we did have a little dry patch there last year and then just how it can sort of change and flip-flop as the season progresses in potentially a different year. But yeah, last year we couldn't get one because there's too much cloud. But mm. So yeah, it's. I think it was a good exercise even to go back okay, this year was a different crop to 21. How did that perform in a slightly less favourable finish? And then work out your next wet year and potentially dry start just to see what your zones are doing. So we did talk about a lot about keep it simple, but sometimes, yeah, a couple of different years comparison is, is very powerful as well. Yeah. So, yeah, that was another question. How many years of data are needed to make zones? Now, I also did write down that Pete said less is more and um, you said you could never have too many data layers so where, where are we going to get to on this meet somewhere in the middle yep <laughs> and the middle is one no. no the advantage of having a range of layers is for these random years or cloud cup you say so use the ndvi example we had cloud cover also we had different rotations but the advantage is there's a satellite going over all the time, so you can just go back in time to when the conditions were right. And it's the same with yield data. All right, last year is out of the bag year. Other years we have frost events. Like, so there is an advantage of having more, but you can also uh, drive yourself a little bit. Uh, Bamboozle yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Too well, much data. Yeah, can I clarify? <laughs> no, please do. I think we can use very affordable data layers to actually better determine our more detailed other data layers. So generating zones through Google Earth, NDVI, yield maps, which are all attainable, but, and then pinpointing and getting cost-effective soil sampling and soil test results without blowing the budget too much. So that's another data layer that's on top of the others, but we're refining that cost based off some mm. cheaper versions. Yeah. Just to add to that, one common thing across the day, putting up maps particularly if they hadn't seen it, farmers hadn't seen any NDVI, they could all tell you something about that map or that paddock. You know, that area is a sand hill or a stone or... So farmers know their paddocks and if they haven't, often haven't seen a you know, representation of the variation in a map, yield or NDVI, don't overlook just using their knowledge to identify Absolutely. what's going on. Absolutely, head knowledge is very powerful. So another question we had was how many zones is the good number of zones to work with? Yeah, I think people have a definite answer for this. <laughs> what was your, uh, your, th your theory? Well, was... one, if you've got one zone, that's easy, so that should be your preference. <laughs> but after that, if you have a reason for zoning up your paddock and you understand why you're doing it, what's a worry of how many zones you've got? Yep. Because in a sense, it's not going to make the machine work any harder, two versus, say, seven because two zones can end up looking pretty messy and the machine can be constantly changing all the time. So 
Yeah, and it comes down to why are you going to draw that line on the map to make a new zone? And as, as long as you understand why you're putting that line in, after that, you can extrapolate out as many zones as you want. Spot on. And it's going to be circumstantial and where you are, the paddock and the size of the paddock and, yeah, what, again, what you're chasing. And, and but typically for the, for the examples we looked at today, we were sort of between two and four, weren't we? Yeah, and I guess out here it's easy to do the flat mid-slope, mm. profitable mid-slope in, in June. Yep. I think, yeah, the flat's probably a lot of discussion of last year and it being profitable, but there's probably flat part that we could potentially fix, but there's other flats that was, there's just no point throwing money at. Um, they're just going to be poor continuously. So, yeah, that's that's the three into four yep. in my version. Yep. So once we've established those zones, what's the next step? So I assume we've got a reason why we established the zones, so we should know what we're treating. So go through the example today of the NDVI and looking for the early establishment, isolating the soils that we suspect have got a... Well, we'd could potentially write them off as poor soils, but through Sean's work, we understand that they're highly alkaline, which means they're tying up pee, and so we've got an immediate how we're going to address it. So the next step is, once you've drawn those zones, soil test, point soil test to understand what your zone is, and then create your, you know, the input that's required to manage it. Is it cutting back? Is it increasing? Mm. Okay. Today we had an example where we might have had three zones, but we threw in an extra soil test here and there because there was an unexplained area or something that we were trying to investigate in a bit more detail. So that local interpretation and, and knowledge of what's not working to try and come up with a solution is pretty important too. Yeah. So you guys as consultants can only go so far with information you need to have some of that local knowledge back from the farmer. Yep. But also one of the Real powerful bits of knowledge is the feedback you get from putting in those trial strips or trying something and getting the yield response or no response, and that builds every year. You're building up a knowledge base of what's mm. working and what's not. So it's all right to make a decision now because you have to, like preceding, but nothing's set in concrete. You can yep. adapt again as next year comes around depending on what your yield results are. I think those field trials, the permanent field trials, uh, gold in that regard yeah. and just keeping your standard practice or district practice and having a comparison with that so you know where you're sitting and where potential improvements may or may not occur and i think even with anything new acidity came up today so we can understand acidity and put lime out but what's the lime doing so even in the variable lime patch application rate maybe we can put a little control strip in just to see that we're getting our value from our inputs yep no, some pretty exciting things that hopefully we're going to look into this year once everybody's got their paddock. We'll establish some strips and then uh, we can go back and have a bit of a look and see what sort of observations we're getting later in the season. So I guess just to finish off with, a lot of people want to get into VRT and PA, but there's always something that holds them back. So one of the reasons that one of the farmers gave today was having somebody else driving the tractor and, and just not being confident because it's a new process what are some of the other things? Probably my two biggest things I get told are time and just different colour machinery talking to each other. It's like everything. The more chefs in the kitchen or the more components in the cab is the more opportunity for something to go wrong. None of it's insurmountable. We've got all sorts of stuff out there in the field working. But unfortunately, um, it does take... And I comfortably tell farmers when they first start on the journey 
call it a two-year process, just getting used to either making sure the yield monitor's working or, yeah, there's a lot of little steps. So don't feel you have to dot every R across every T. And don't be discouraged if something goes wrong because it seems no. like that puts a lot of people off. That's they lose that. a bit of data yeah. or something else happens. I can guarantee you, you will all lose data. <laughs> Though nowadays with things going to the cloud, it should be less, but I can still see uh, you'll all, all have gaps. Things happen for those uh, farmers that are in areas with snails. They'll gunk up things. It's, yeah, it happens, Things go wrong, yeah. but hopefully we can start working through this so more things go right. Sometimes mistakes can give you... Valuable information Well, that's right, exactly. It's called a trial strip. (laughs) (laughs) So measuring return on investment, I know that was meant to be my last question, but I've got one more question. Measuring return on investment, a lot of people want to know that varying their rate of fertiliser is going to be better than a blanket approach. How do we measure it? And that comes down to you have to have a reference trial strip. Yeah. Yeah. Have an area where you either turn the machine off or it's just programmed to put out a blank rate, a comparison. You, you just need something to compare something to to know the gains you've got. Mm-hmm. Okay, that simple. Yep, keep it that simple. Spot on. Great. Anything you change, you need a reference point of what you were doing. Yep, yep. fantastic. Well, I think we'll leave it there. Oh, didn't have your last question. <laughs> <laughs> Time for another beer. So thank you very much for joining us today. We're very much looking forward to having you back in the Mallee later in the season and we're going to be doing more in this space, so stay tuned. Thanks for joining us. If you want to hear more, like and subscribe to the MSF Farm Talk podcast. Catch you later.